Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. Fantastic. Well, come with me in your Bibles, um, Psalm 89, verse 14. Psalm 89, 14. Psalm 89, verse 14. Um, says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. I just wanted to, to, I felt just kind of to teach and speak into who, who God is, who God is. And it's really, really important because we're meant to represent God. Theology is the, the study of God's word. Theo is God, Logos is word. The study of God's word is all theology. Everybody has a theology. In fact, all theology really can be... Uh, placed into two camps, into two categories. Category A is God has said. The Jews took that to another level. They said, hey, not only has God said, but it is written. Moses came down with the Torah, with the Tanuch. Prophets have written it that we know it came from God. And when God speaks, when God has said, we write it down. So Jesus doubles down on the devil and says, it is written. The other camp is, has God really said? Has God, can you, can you really trust God? We, we, we have, there, there isn't, but, but we have in our days a lie, a confusion, a distortion, a perversion that, well, you know, you've got your religious beliefs, you've got your God, well, we've got science. All of science, all of science is dependent upon the fixed laws of God. The, 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 the mathematical precision and perfection of the universe, the, the, the number of hours in a day, the number of days in a week, everything is ordered, everything is structured. The seasons, everything is ordered, everything is structured so that we have something to measure from. If you have no... If you have no fixed points to measure from you can't measure if 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 an inch is whatever you decide it to be it's chaos we know an inch is this much we know a mile is this long we know everything is fixed but you've got to be very very careful because the word science is the word knowing is the word knowing or to know conscience which is the word conscience means to know it means oh man no one was looking. I took a cookie out of the cookie jar. I know I'm not meant to. And you just feel, because you're conscience, you know better. You know that this is wrong. You know you shouldn't be doing it. So your conscience is convicting you. When, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan says, hey, listen, you can depart from what God has said 
And you can, through knowing, through knowledge, navigate and chart your own path forward. So when you, you hear we're the party of knowledge, uh, science, you know, we're, we're science people, they're not in science. They, they use the word we are, we are science. What they're doing is they're saying we are rebellious people, but we don't want to tell you we're rebellious, so we use the word science. But really what it is, it's a defiance of God's word. We refuse to hear God's word. We refuse to acknowledge that it's God's word. And definitely we refuse to obey God's word. So we believe that we can go forward. There are more than two genders. And everything that they get into, we can legalize this and legalize that. And, you know, it's, 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 just, it's just, you know, adult child uh, attraction. We need to normalize it. It's, it's, so they move away from God has said. Whenever we move away from God has said, we never move towards peace. We never move towards tranquility. We never move towards blessing. We only move towards chaos and destruction. Because when God has said, when God has said, the spirit of God has said is love. The Bible says that God is love. God God doesn't love. He is love. God doesn't wake up in the morning and say, you know, Gabriel, today I I really feel yesterday I was hard on them. Today I'm going to be loving. God God is loving all the time. God doesn't do love. God doesn't have love. God is love. He is the source of all love. The Bible says, he who says that I love God but hate my brother is a liar. And the truth of God is not in him. No one who, who has seen his brother but hasn't seen God, can say, I hate my brother, but I love God. So, so love is the greatest reflection that, that we are like God. But can I just say to you that the, the woke gospel that has been out for the last kind of 10 years or so tries to tell you that, that uh, you can have love without truth. But when you have love without truth, you don't have God. You know, no, no one's going to hell. There is no hell. There is no judgment. There's no right or wrong. God just loves you. And if we just love people then. If, you know, and, and there's no such thing as wicked people. And, and this, this, is, this is really important because uh, th- th- there were people who weren't in church, but because the church was, had departed from the fact that mercy and truth go before God. Because the church had departed from that. Pastor Leanne says when, uh, when the church goes silent, the world loses its way. When the ch- church stops speaking, the world loses its way. And so there were, there were people that thought, oh, no, no, the, the Taliban, ISIS, ISIL, they're just, they're just being badly wrapped by fundamentalist truth principal Christians. No, no, no. If we show love towards them, they'll show love towards us. I'm not sure if you saw over the last, you know, seven or so years, people that went backpacking and people that, you know, were kind of traveling all over the world, go to those places and are raped and killed, mutilated and destroyed because they bought into a lie that you can have love without truth can have love without truth. Now, let me just say this. When we came to San Diego, it was very different 16 years ago. The reason I wrote the book Push was because my first encounter 
of what was the, the spiritual climate in San Diego, it was truth without love. I was in a hospital and <clears throat> a year earlier, we, we uh, had prayed for a little boy in the same hospital, in the same ward, almost the same bed, in a similar state where they wanted to unplug the machines and the little boy lived, walked out and is still alive, breathing today. But one year later, I'm in the same hospital, same ward, same floor, and I walk in and there's a little boy almost identical age in the bed on life support. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, clear the room because there's no faith in the room. Clear the room and I'll raise the little boy up. And so I said, oh, excuse me, everybody. I said, listen, friends of the family attend my church and they've asked me, uh, you know, to pray for this little boy. If you don't believe that God can do it because they're weeping and wailing and howling and carrying on. I said, if you don't, would you just mind stepping into the hall, uh, you know, so I can pray? And people just, and they kept wailing and carrying on. I'm like, dear God, like, what do I, and he's like, be more persistent. I said, oh, excuse me. I said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I said, people have invited me to come. And if you don't believe that God can do a miracle, and like two people got up and left, and there's still about another of the eight, guys like, that guy's got no faith, that guy's got no faith, that one's got no faith, that one's got no faith. So I'm like, dear God, what do I do? And so I just prayed for a little boy maybe four months before that that had a, a giant tumour, and, uh, and I prayed in tongues until I felt the power of God, and I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So I just I stood in the corner of the hospital room, I thought, I'm just going to pray in tongues till I feel the Holy Ghost. So I'm just, and I'm just praying in tongues. And somebody grabbed my arm violently and said, hey, you're speaking in tongues. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, Bible says you shouldn't speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter. I said, actually, the Bible says he who speaks in tongues speaks mysteries. He doesn't speak to, to men, but to God. I said, I'm talking to God right now. I'm not talking to you. It's none of your beeswax, what I'm saying. So he says, I'm the father of that boy. And he goes, and if God wanted to raise him up, he would have done it when we pulled him out of the pond. He would have done it when we were waiting for the ambulance. He would have done it in the ambulance. I prayed three times. That says the will of God. This is the will of God. And then his wife threw herself on her little 20-month-old little boy. She threw herself on, on him and she says, God, we don't know why you did this. But we know that this is for your glory. And I literally felt the Holy Spirit grieve. And he said, this is why I sent you to San Diego. Because how do, these, how, how, how do people believe a theology that tells a providence that you're crippling childhood arthritis so that you are racked in pain is the will of God and God gets glory. Think about that. Think about that. God is in heaven and he says, Gabriel, my, my, just feel my glory level is really low. Oh, there's a little 20-month-year-old child that's wandered off from these parents at a party. Watch this. Pushes the little kid in, drowning, panicking, trying to get up, drowns. Ah, oh, that's good, Gabriel. I'm getting glory from this. 
Oh, see their pain and suffering? I could click my fingers and raise a little boy, <clears throat> but I'm not because it's giving me, because my glory is more important than, can I tell you, that's not God. When, 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 when people have a theology that is so steeped in what they perceive to be truth, predestination is one of the things of Calvinism. Evangelism is irrelevant. You don't need to evangelize. God's already chosen who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, and you've got nothing to do with it. I've got four kids. The Calvinism predestination is the equivalent. I've got four kids. My house is on fire. I grab Leanne, like, what are you doing? No, 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 no. Two of our kids are going to burn in, hell, uh, in the fire flames, and two kids are going to be saved. What kind of a parent? What kind of a parent chooses to let two burn and save the other two? When, when we have what we perceive is truth without love, we lose God. We lose God. So our job is to, is to teach that God is not bipolar, God is not schizophrenic, that God is not unilateral or one-dimensional. God is mercy and truth. God is mercy and truth. In all of our dealings, in all of our uh, encounters with people, we need to teach that in all of our understandings. So come with me to the book of uh, Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33 uh, the children of Israel are stiff-necked. They've just made the golden calves. They've had to grind it and throw it into the water. And then God bless Moses. He makes them drink the water, you know, just with drink it. And uh, I love Moses. He's awesome. So Moses now pitches a, a tabernacle just to get away from the people. He's like, I'm done with you freaking compromising jack wagons. So he takes a tabernacle. And the Bible says that his tent became known as the tent of meeting, the tabernacle of meeting. It came to pass that anyone who sought the Lord went out to this tabernacle. God would come down, speak Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. Moses would return to the camp, but Joshua, the young man, would linger behind. Then go to verse 12. It says, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. So what God had just said in a few verses earlier, he says, listen, he says, I just want you to know that I'm not going with you into the promised land. He says, I'll send an angel who'll take care of business. The angel, he'll fight for you. He'll win all your battles. And Moses like, nah, no deal. No deal. He says, unless you go, I don't want to go. Unless you can. And God says, listen, the people are a stiff-necked people. If I come into their midst, I'll consume them in a moment. And God, Moses like, well, then I'm telling you, I'm not going up. And may I remind you, they're your people. If you kill them in the wilderness, what will all the nations say? Your God, you can put on your big boy pants. You can put on your big God boy pants. You need to figure this out because I'm not going in there with just an angel. If God's presence isn't with us, I ain't going. So, so this is the negotiation. So then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from this place. Verse 16. For how then 
Will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be your So we shall be separate, sorry, your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing. I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And he said this. I love Moses. He doubles down. He says, please show me your glory. Moses has no idea what he is asking. But he asks. Really bad theology is where people, I've heard theology of, I wouldn't even praise such a prayer. Like, yes, and at that awakened church, they have people bothering God, asking God for homes and to be able to pay their rent. And they believe in God for new cars and they fill out these vision cards and they put all these carnal materialistic things on there. If you, if you have a theology that doesn't ask God for things that you have no idea what the hell you're asking. You have the wrong theology. He says, God, show me your glory. Watch how accommodating God is. Then God said to him, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will make all my goodness pass before you. In other words, God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just give you one little slither of me, and it's my goodness. I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And then uh, over, go to uh, verse, uh, chapter 34, verse 6. It says, And the Lord passed by him. The Lord passed by him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and, come on somebody, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his, his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if now I found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And then it goes on and says, God makes his, his covenant with Moses. Moses comes down from the mountain and his face is glowing. I love this passage of scripture because uh, God chooses. He says, listen, what you're asking, you don't realize what you're asking. You want to see my of God because the glory of God would consume the man. But God says, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make my goodness 
pass. So in other words, God's going to, so my entire motivation will be goodness. But even that's not enough. Even God's goodness is not enough because of the sinfulness, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. So God has to say to him, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. He says, however, there is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. Do you know anything about the New Testament? Who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. He says, you shall stand, you shall stand on the rock and it'll come to pass as I pass by that I will, I will put you in the cleft of the cliff. In other words, there's a crack in the cliff where you're standing on the rock and I'm going to put you in there and then I will cover you with my hand as I pass by. In other words, I'm going to bring my presence. I'm going to bring my glory. I'm going to show you my goodness and I'm going to cover you with my hand to protect you from me. I will make sure that you experience my glory without it consuming you. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the covering. His blood shed on the cross has created a covering. So that in this life, his blood shed on the cross has created a covering. So that in this life, all motivated by the goodness of God, out of the goodness of God, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life so that we could experience the glory of God in this life. So we could ask ridiculous things of God in this life. So that like Pastor Tom said, that we could experience heaven on earth in this life because of what Jesus Christ did. Jesus is the, the, the covering that allows us to experience the goodness of God and the glory of God. But Moses, as, as he's there, because God says, and, and, and I will proclaim to you. <clears throat> I don't believe necessarily that the proclamation was, doo, 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 hear ye, hear ye, the Lord. I believe that just Moses standing in the presence of God, the, the, the revelation, he was overwhelmed. His sensory perceptions were so overwhelmed that, that, that he, all he can think of is, is the Lord, gracious to whom he be con, con, gracious, compassion on whom he has compassion. That, that he's, he's standing there and, and, and he feels the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. And so you see this, this, there's this back and forth between I can feel God's love, but at the same time, his love is not disconnected from his truth. I can feel his goodness and kindness, but at the same time, I feel what is heaven? Heaven is the place of God's love and reward. What is hell is the place of God's punishment and judgment. We don't want to go to hell, but listen, the people that reject the love of God St. Augustine said this, where can a man go if he was to run from God? If a man seeks to run from God, where does he end up? Surely 
All he can succeed in doing is running from God's pleasure into God's wrath. Heaven is God's love and God's goodness and God's reward for those who receive him. Hell is God's punishment and God's judgment for those who reject him. And let me just double down on hell because there's a lot of misperceptions because of the woke gospel that somehow hell is God being a meanie, God throwing a tantrum. Trans- let me just explain hell to you. Hell is God giving people that don't want God exactly what they want. What is hell? Hell is the one place God has removed his presence. Hell is the one place in the universe, in the cosmos, where God has withdrawn his presence. The Bible says God is light and in him there is no darkness. When you read about hell, it is a place of utter darkness. The Bible says in God's presence is fullness of joy. Hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says in, in, in God's presence, there's rejoicing, there's laughter, there's, there's, uh, it's ex- exuberant. But hell is a place of torment. It's a place of anguish. Hell is the place where God has removed his presence. The people that don't want God, God gives them exactly what they want. He delivers them to a place where he isn't. And it is a place of hell. It is a place of suffering. It is a place of torment. What is God's will? God's will is not that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there are people, no matter how much God pursues, no matter how much God does, they've given themselves over to wickedness and they end up in a place God never designed. Let me just say this. God did not design hell for human habitation. Hell was never designed for you. Hell was never designed for human occupation. The Bible says in in, uh, Matthew 25... Jesus said, and then I'll say to the wicked, depart from me into the everlasting fire, into hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never prepared for man. It was always prepared for the devil and his angels. Can I just tell you, if you're a devil worshiper, you may want to quit. If you think, no, I'm really powerful, I've got a seance and we do like pentagrams and I drink chicken's blood, you may want to rethink your life there. Because hell is, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. You don't want to be with the devil. You don't want to be with his angels. You want to be as far away from them as you can. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> we, see, we see this all the way through the scriptures. In, in 1 Samuel 5, it talks about where the Philistines capture the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and they say, this is the box. This is the, it's got the two, the two cherubim that face one another, the wings touch. It's got the mercy seed where the, the Shekinah glory, the, the Chabad, the, the, the glory of God dwells on there. It's inside is the Ten Commandments, Aaron's bud that rotted, the pot of manna. And so they, they've captured, the Philistines have captured what they believe is the power of God. They've captured the power of God. And now they say, ha, we've taken Israel's power. We've taken the church's power. We've taken miracles and power away from the church. And now we're going to carry that power and it's going to serve us. We captured God and now God is going to be forced to serve us. And I love it because they take the, the, the box and they set it up in the temple of, of, 
of Dagon, their God. The chief God of the Philistines was Dagon. And they, they said, all right, you guys get along. And so Dagon was there. And then the ark of God was just, was just there. And then they go and they, clock, they lock the door and make sure you guys are friends when we come. Well, the next morning when they came in, there was Dagon fallen on his face before the ark of God. And so they had to they had to lift him back up again and set him back up on his feet. Whenever you have to protect your God, if you have to put a fatwa on people because they drew a cartoon caricature of your Muhammad, uh, can I, our God, you can attack him all day. He don't, he don't need us to defend him because he's the one true God. Anyone that has to defend their God, their God ain't the God. If that God needs your defense, he's not God. So, so they set Dagon back onto his feet and they say, God, now you just stop that. Get on, for goodness. And so the, the next morning when they come in, not only was Dagon fallen on his face, but his hands and his head had broken off. Therefore, it says the Philistines no longer would walk into the threshold because they saw the judgment of God. Not only did God take down their God, their head, strategy, hands, activity, but the Bible says all the people began to break out in boils and tumors and cancers and people began to die. And then they realized they were dying because they brought the presence of God into a camp of people that had no atonement for their sin. They had no covering for their sin. They thought we can bring the glory and we can capture the glory and we can now present ourselves in that glory, not realizing that in the presence of God is judgment. Because the righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne, God has to judge sin. God has to, the wages of sin is death. When Satan puts sin in to man, he thought, I stuck the knife into God. Look how brilliant, look how smart I am. The apple of your eye, the desire of your heart, the, the, the very thing that you are most passionate about, you now have to kill. You, you, they have sinned and the wages of sin is death and you are a God of justice and righteousness, you have to put death. But God was smarter than the devil. God created a thing called time. So the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God sent a bullet called death. But because God created time, he was able to give Moses, the Torah, the prophets, Samuel, David, and then Jesus, the son of David, was able to be born clothed in human flesh. Because remember, God said, I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. You'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. So that by the time the bullet was about to hit, Yeshua, Jesus, stepped in and he took death. That's why he had to die. Jesus died on the cross so that the love of God... And the truth of God could combine on the cross. The truth is Jesus had to die because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and turned away. I deserve death for my sins. But Yeshua HaMashiach died on the cross because God's love made a way so that my... We see this all the way through the, the scriptures, the God's love and God's truth. So the God that we preach, the God that we preach is a God who is a loving God. 
We preach that, 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 that God is also a truthful God. In fact, there's a saying that all truth is God's truth. There's no truth that doesn't lead to, to God. That's why truth is vilified. That's why truth is ostracized. You'll lose your Instagram account. You'll lose your Facebook. You'll lose your Twitter. You'll be censored by social media if you speak truth. Because the devil is a liar. His kingdom, the web of his kingdom is sustained and strengthened by lies. Truth disintegrates those lies. It cripples. It weakens. But we're not going silently into the night. We're going to stand up, elevate our voice and declare the truth. The truth is that you have to repent. I believe that God is a gracious God. And so we've had the grace gospel. You know, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. God loves you. Yeah. But it does matter who you are and what you do. Even though God loves you, if you shoot somebody, you'll end up in prison. If you break the law, there are consequences. God doesn't deliver you. He may forgive your sin, but you've got to still got to deal with the consequences. So we teach people that absolutely God loves you, but His grace, in fact, I've found that in my life, God's grace flows to repentance. Did you know that you can't be delivered from something you're unrepentant of? If, if, if I'm not repentant of a certain sin, I, I think I've got a right for that. I, I can't be delivered. You can pray for me all day, cast demons out all day. It's, demons got the legal hold because he's unrepentant. So do I believe that God is a gracious God? 100%. His grace is overwhelming. But his grace is triggered and activated and released to flow into my life at the point of my repentance. That's why the Bible says that God wishes that all men everywhere would repent. Jesus' first message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need to, to get back to preaching that God is love and God is also truth. Truth has been cast down. Truth has fallen in the street. Justice is held back and behold, equity cannot enter. We want to see justice rise again. We've got to preach that God is love and God is truth. We've got to preach to this generation who God is. Is God love? 100%, but He is also truth. And the truth is that we deserve death as, as sinners, but because of God's love, He sent Jesus Christ. The reason Jesus hung on the cross was because I can't make it into God's presence, into God's glory, into eternity on my own. I needed Yeshua, I needed Jesus, I needed His covering, I needed His blood. Come on, stand with me to your feet. Lift your hands high to heaven. How many people thank God that our God is a God of love and truth? He's a God of love and truth. He's a God of love and truth. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let the devil lie to you. If I was honest with you, the number one lie of the devil in my life is that it's just a little sin. No, one even, no one's even watching. There's nobody around. It won't kill you. You can live a double life. You can have your public persona and then a little secret. But have you ever watched Lord of the Rings? What's his name? Schmeagel or Gollum? Both. Because he bought the delusion that he could live a double life. 
them filthy little hobbishes. We, we, we kills them. Yes, yes. Then we takes the precious. No, no. Master's good. Master's good. No. Them's hobbishes. Them's Trixie. No, no, no. Ma he's tormented. Because he's trying to live. Mr. Anderson, it seems you've been living two lives. One of these lives has a future, the other does not. One of, you can't live two lives. You can't live two lives. Don't give the devil an inch. Don't give him a second life. Don't give him a private life. Be one person. David wrote in Psalm 89, he says, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. Don't let the devil divide your heart. A house divided cannot stand. Don't let him, come on, lift your hands high to heaven. Father, we thank you. Lord God, for your love your love, your covering, your truth. Father, I thank you that we can ask, that we can experience the glory of God in this life. In this life, there are people who are experiencing heaven on earth. And the reason they experience heaven on earth is because they understand who you are. They understand that you are a God of kindness and compassion, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity to the children through the third and fourth generation. And yet the Lord is gracious and full of loving kindness that you take me when I don't even know what I'm asking and you put me in the cleft of the rock and you cover me by my hand and I can look upon your glory because I get to stand on the rock of Jesus. I see things mere mortals cannot see. I experience things that mere mortals cannot experience because I'm in Christ. Because I'm in Christ, I have access to the glory of God, the power of God, the blessing of God. Father, I pray there'd not be one person today that this year wouldn't lift what they're asking, wouldn't lift what they're believing, knowing that in Christ, in Christ, they experience the goodness and they experience your mercy. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.